On today's episode of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, we're joined by Ron Bargatze, former Vanderbilt basketball assistant coach under Roy Skinner in the 70s, to get his reaction from Vandy's gut-wrenching loss to Florida on Tuesday night and what the future holds in the Stackhouse era with some young talent coming in next season. Plus, we dive deep into Vandy's loss to Florida and why the same issues keep popping up with this team late in games. But we also look ahead to the Vandy Boys' four-game series in Hawaii this weekend, starting tonight at 10.30 p.m. local time for Game 1. We've got all that and much more coming right up here on The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. Let's ride. At Vanderbilt. It's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, grab a cold one, and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening to The Door Report. The premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation. Anchor down. Welcome into the Door Report. It is episode 149. It is March 4th, 2022. We are powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. And, Will, we've got a loss to recap uh, from Tuesday night, uh, about a two, few, day, few days after, but we are still recapping it. We've got the Vandy Boys in Hawaii. We will also give a big shout-out to Shea Ralph, and uh, we'll give a quick preview of the Ole Miss game on Saturday and then kind of look ahead to uh, Vanderbilt in the SEC tournament next week. But, well, what a, what a brutal night it was in Memorial on Tuesday night, and uh, we're going to get into all of it. Uh, there was a lot there. Seems like there's there's always a lot with a loss like this. Uh, but man, it, it uh, this is going to be a beefy episode, I think. I I love that we keep using the term beefy. I like that we're bringing that back. So we'll just start we'll just start using that every episode. Every time we've got a good one coming up, we'll say beefy. We, we need a beef, I know I we need a beef meter. The, yeah, I said I said it up. last episode when I when I was hosting solo, but. Beefy. That's the, that's a good way to describe it. This team, I think, at one point, it was like ninety six percent chance of winning that game against Florida with like three minutes left in the game when they were up eight, according to the Ken Palm like win probability metrics in game. Whatever. I don't know how accurate that is. Whatever that means is that in their simulations, ninety five or ninety six out of a hundred times. A team wins that game with that score at that time in the game, 95 or 96 out of 100. Vanderbilt basketball manages to find new ways to bring you up and give you hope and tear you down every time that you allow them to fool you again. It's like, the, what's the the famous George W. Bush? I know I've used it. The fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. Well, you can't get fooled again. Well, I've been fooled. I swear to God, like 2,000 times. times, George. Like, I mean, <laughs> way more than two times. So I, I'm going to keep coming back, keep getting fooled. But it wasn't just the uh, men's side that had a tough stretch there, Billy. And I know you want to at least uh, give yes. a little bit of shout out to them that it's not just on the men's side of basketball that this curse 
of basketball seems to be plaguing us on the West End. The, the, the curse is infiltrated on the women's side because uh, what a brutal week it was for uh, for Vanderbilt against the Gators. Uh, Vanderbilt ended up, uh, the women's team actually beat Florida. Uh, I think it was last week, and then they ended up losing by one in the SEC tournament. So I hate Florida. Just the, throw that out Florida there. on the basketball side in particular, especially this week. Gosh, it's been brutal. Just, just, just all of Florida. I don't just, know where just, it's become a thing. I know they're in the East, and they've always been a rival, but I didn't feel like Florida was so directly this like team that I just had this hatred for and now you go back all the way to the where Dario Dangbo got that yep. crackback block against him and Derek Mason, Mason came out there out and there. Vanderbilt and then Vanderbilt fell apart and lost a 21 to 3 lead and lost to Florida this is the new Ole Miss you know how Vanderbilt used to always yep. lose to Ole yep. Miss well Joan Williams broke up that pass in the corner of the end yep. zone and I believe it. one of the first overtime football games that it was the first one I'd ever seen at, at Vanderbilt Stadium. I think it was one of the first ones maybe ever um, at Vanderbilt been, Stadium. Yeah. And Joan Williams broke the Ole Miss curse there because for a while with Marshall Henderson and the football team oh, opening on Thursday the Ole Miss, Ole Miss was the curse. That was the yeah. rival in the U.S. Now it's shifting in front of our eyes, Billy. It's Florida. The heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching, heartbreaking just, loss. It's Florida. Out. It's Florida now, Billy. That's it's, that's who it's, it's shifting Florida. over to. Florida Florida, and Vanderbilt, the, ten, the tensions are, are high, it seems, and, and in the last couple of years, every sport, especially like baseball, football, it's Florida. It's Florida now, and uh, man, it's been brutal. What a brutal week for the, for the basketball side of things for Vandy, but we'll talk a little baseball. We'll talk mostly basketball here, but before we get to all that, Will, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door dot report like us on facebook subscribe to our youtube channel our podcast is available on anchor itunes spotify and google podcasts and while you're at it give our podcast five stars and a review on itunes all right let's get to the breaking news no matter what style you're going for you can trust your flooring job to a Laco fine wood floors take a walk through the woods in your home every day get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303 Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. All right, well, let's uh, let's start with a little baseball here. Vanderbilt uh, begins a four-game series tonight in Honolulu, Hawaii. They will spend almost a week on the islands before coming back to Nashville. Uh, a little little jealous of those guys. Great weather, though, here in Nashville. We're not missing out on too much. It's a 10.30 p.m. local time first pitch tonight on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, so Vandy fans will be able to watch that. Last season, Will, Vandy took two out of three from the Rainbow Warriors in, in Nashville uh, last year. Uh, but, Will, I think more particularly for you, college baseball betting is back. And we talked about this being back uh, before the postseason last year. But Vanderbilt is minus 250 to win tonight, according to Barstool Sportsbook. I'm going to be staying up to watch. I'm, I'm not going to be betting on that game, but I, I will be watching that one tonight. Uh, Vandy's, uh, they're on a five-game winning streak after their win over Central Arkansas on Tuesday. Uh, well, Hawaii is no slouch. Uh, they're, they're, a, they're a solid team out, out, uh, out in Honolulu. They're 4-4 four and four overall. Uh, they recently split a series with Washington State. Uh, a few weeks ago, and they're actually coming off a couple of big wins over Fresno State and San Diego State in the uh, Tony Gwynn Classic uh, out there on the West Coast. So, well, for this weekend, it's going to be interesting to see how many different pitching arms uh, we see and maybe some new guys we might see. And and for Tim Corbin, getting those young guys more experience because traveling all the all the way to Hawaii, that's 
it's a little bit different than going to Omaha, but it's, it's, you know, it's kind of that same long trip and, and a, a new atmosphere, a different atmosphere for these guys, especially for the young guys. So great experience. But, uh, well, I got to ask, are you, are you putting any money on this one tonight? Cause simply because you can, <laughs> I am a big gambler. I love putting money. I bet on Vanderbilt baseball, just a you know couple bucks yeah. pretty much every game. I do not bet regular season college baseball. That is, I am not to that not level. Uh, not not a not a regular thing that I do. Uh, now I say that now, probably about May or, or June, once it hits postseason, I'll be looking at it quite a bit more heavily. Yeah. But Billy, if I ever come on here and I'm and I'm breaking down like out of conference college baseball games, like midweek games or even weekend series like this against shocked. Hawaii, and I and I'm breaking those down for teams that are not named Vanderbilt and putting money on them. It's time. What's the red hotline they have in Tennessee? The the one eight hundred gambler or whatever it is. <laughs> I need to call that. If if I'm <laughs> if I'm really breaking down like some random matchups and in, in out of conference college there's baseball. So <laughs> I'll have a little money on it, but that's just because it's Vandy, not because there's there's a I, I'm a I'm a big fan of college baseball gambling lines. Now there's some people that are, and I think there is a market there, especially with. Uh, yep the MLB having the issues yeah. that they currently are. Yeah. But the one thing I wanted to say about baseball, and this is not a Vanderbilt thing, but it affects Vanderbilt pretty directly, is do you feel that college baseball is still like ESPN and it's just not – it's almost like they're trying to not cover it. Yeah. I don't understand yeah. at all. It's like there are they people asking for coverage. You go to the ESPN app and they will have like an Australian amateur women's tennis match <laughs> above any college baseball game in the country listed on that app yeah. and their ESPN plus stuff. And they'll have every single sport you can have in college athletics. And then they will have women's basketball 100% of the time above baseball it doesn't matter what women's basketball matchup it is they will have it ahead of any college baseball matchup on their featured games list i don't get it they, they what deserve, is they deserve what way is more love. can but can you explain it to i know i know for a fact fact the audience of a vanderbilt baseball weekend series game is bigger than some random Missouri Valley Conference regular season women's <laughs> basketball game. I know it is. I don't need ESPN to give me the ratings report. I don't care what ratings report. I know it is. I know there are more eyes on that game. So if anyone from ESPN can explain to me how this makes any sense, I would love to have them on the podcast. Maybe, maybe. Why college baseball is not getting the proper attention and coverage it deserves. I'm glad you're saying this, Will. I, I've, I've been wanting this out of you. I, I, I think it's uh, – I mean, I, I've always been on the college baseball train. I think it should have started a while ago. I think it is starting to heat up a little bit, but it deserves it. It deserves the respect that you're talking about. I mean, I think they should be throwing games on ESPN once or twice a week. I mean, why, why the hell not? Especially without Major League Baseball, throw the games on the MLB, MLB Network. They, they've got uh, Tennessee and Texas tonight on the MLB Network. Uh, I think that's an 8 o'clock first pitch, but – do that more H have a game of the week or uh you know a, a two games of the week or something because without the mlb right now p baseball fans are starving for for any sort of baseball and the highest level right now is college baseball and it's a pretty damn good product like i don't know about you will but i love i love watching college baseball I i'll i'll go out and search and watch uh, lsu louisiana tech because because it it's a hell of an atmosphere people love it and i'm with you well i'm totally with you uh, there's no reason that a, a tennis match in Australia or a women's <laughs> basketball game in the Missouri Valley Conference should be featured over even a midweek Vandy game. I, I'm, I'm being dead serious.
Well, that's where I get. So I wish we were recording this not at like noon or around that time. I wish we were recording it like in the evening so that I could actually see what live games are being featured like I did last night because I had this written down on a sheet of paper. So like I have to say this because I was trying because what initially got me is I was trying to find the Tennessee Tech second round game of the OVC tournament against Moorhead State where, where I graduated from. So that did not go so well for them. But whatever they won their first round game against austin p but i was going there and i was scrolling through all this stuff and i and i was sitting there and even if it's you know trying to push things that are geared towards me well that certainly doesn't make any sense because i've certainly never watched women's basketball i've never even clicked that on espn ever uh, just being completely honest and i was trying to scroll through and there was nhl nba no i don't think there's nba there's nhl there was women's basketball, and then it was NCAA basketball, men's, and then it was NCAA baseball. And that was where I was like, what in the world? Because when you go to it and you just go to leagues, so like their default layout right now, and a lot of this has to do with what games are going on mm-hmm. or whatever, but can anyone explain to me why their default leagues on their featured page, and this is for me, so this is obviously right. if there's going to be any skew, it's not going to be in this direction. No. But number one through in that order, PGA Tour, NCAA Women's Basketball, Bundesliga, La Liga Santander, <laughs> UFC, then NCAA baseball, then NCAA stuff. So like it, that's about. So right now it's because there's some stuff live, but that's about the order it goes in. And NCAA baseball never boosts any higher than that. It doesn't matter what games are going on, but the other sports behind them currently will boost up ahead of them. And I don't understand. They are specifically for whatever reason pushing women's basketball over baseball, and and it has to be this this trend to say look. The ratings for this justify what we are paying for this women's sport at ESPN. But what they're doing is just featuring it on the front of the page of these apps where you, it auto clicks you in, mm-hmm. which is just giving these false viewership numbers versus if you would put a baseball program, I, I can guarantee you it will bring in more eyes than that same exact game. It will do better numbers. It will see a higher percentage increase in viewership with that same marketing push. Yeah. And they've given no marketing and their numbers are still increasing. So there's a lot, a lot that can be done for ESPN, that there dying is. that dying uh, company. You would think that Disney would be looking for something, some anything, target market anything. for ESPN as opposed to just being this dying, bloated yeah. middleman with no talent <laughs> in their entire, literally their entire staff. It's insane. Like Scott Van Pelt's good and they just gave him his own sports center, but like where are the who is likable at espn right now very very i can name one dude i used to be able to name off like 30 people at espn that i liked there's like scott van pelt and he's one of the older guys that's it that's it for me somebody else to uh purchase the ncaa baseball right we need we need to send something to him because college baseball needs to be right up there with the top with college basketball i'm with you in that and and, you know it still have women's basketball available god forbid you got to scroll a little bit longer for that women's basketball list so well i'm right here with you on this i could have a whole episode about this and and, uh talking college baseball the respect they deserve but uh we can watch tonight espn plus uh we'll have to scroll probably a lot but vandy and hawaii will be on espn plus i don't think the games tomorrow are uh, but i think game four will be on sunday they'll have a double header uh tomorrow so vandy hawaii this weekend they'll start tonight 10 30 on espn plus will 
Let's give a shout out to Shay Ralph. What she has done with, with, with that program in the short time that she has been there is incredible. And yes, the, the wins may not be there, but the, the eye test is there. And they got a win in the first round of the SEC tournament, and they battled all the way with Florida. And yes, it was a brutal ending, but they had a chance to move on and, and, and go to that third game of the SEC tournament. So kudos to them, Will. And, and, you know, we haven't talked a ton of women's basketball, but I had a feeling and, and that, that you agree with me here. It got to the point where we needed to start talking about them because, you know, the, Jordan Cambridge and, and some of those other players that they've, get, they've got some talent there. And, and I think for the future, future's bright under Shea Ralph. So kudos to her and her program. Uh, it, it's on the up and up there. And I, I don't think it's going to be going down anytime soon. So shout out to her and that program. Yeah, we wanted to get draw a little bit of attention because it's definitely a spot that I would say we don't. We definitely don't cover. We try to put out tweets when significant things happen, but I mean, a majority of this really, really is just us, and it's yeah. and it's what we watch. And just being honest, I don't. I think I we're keep up majority. with it. I see where I see where they are in the standings. If they're good, I'll pick it up late. I'm the worst yeah. type of women's basketball fan. I'll jump on the bandwagon like we did, but just why we ha- we just haven't given it as much attention mm-hmm. as it probably is deserved because we've put so much attention on the downfall of the men's basketball program and everything is the curse of coach Kevin Stallings and everything like that. But really the women's program has fallen a lot harder and a lot more precipitously and a lot further. When you look at what they were doing before under Under Melanie Melanie Balcom, Balcom, it's, it is crazy how I mean, they were. They were a consistent tournament tournament team. They won year. under under Balcom. They won the SEC in 2003, 2004, 06, 07, and 08, 09. And then in 10, this is going to be her last, we'll say, four seasons in 2012, 13 through 15, 16. They were 21 and 12, 18 and 13, 15 and 16, and 18 and 14. And in those previous years, in those last two years of Melanie Balcom, they didn't make the tournament. And that's what got her. But the previous years, from 99 to 2000 through 13-14, they had made the NCAA tournament every single year. Every single year, Billy. I know. Looking back at it, that's another note that I had made down here was, it has not been get given enough attention of like, yeah, the men's basketball program obviously has more eyes on it and it happened quickly how they fell apart. But like, my God, this is a whole different level, whole level of yeah. fall off a cliff. You went from making the tournament for what is that? The year 99, 2000 for what? 15, 16, mm-hmm. 15 straight years. You went from doing that to going seven and 23 in 2018, 2019 and seven and 24 the year before that, it was a pretty quick that downfall too. Far. It's amazing how quick. Yeah, you went from Alcum in fifteen sixteen, then you go Stephanie, Stephanie White, White fourteen sixteen, then seven wins, seven wins, then fourteen and eight sixteen, then gone. But yeah, it is insane. I, I like looking at this. If this was a men's program, and Vandy did have it happen to a certain extent, but their not fall off, their fall off was not as a. It was not from as high of a peak really as what vandy women's basketball it was was more of a slow death too yeah well it was a quick it went from they were good but it like it they fell off and they never hit as low like yeah they had the 0 and 18 season like that was as low but it ticked up to three wins i don't know i i just see it as like my god like this was a team that was 
Oh, this was a blue blood make the NCAA tournament women's basketball team. Yeah, beating Tennessee. Going, you know, going yeah. to seven wins. I'm just saying like the, this idea, and it's where Vandy men's basketball kind of was for like five to six years under Stallings, mm-hmm. max five to six years. They were this from 19... 19- Holy hell, we got to do an we got to do an episode. We need to do a deep dive basketball because it was starting in '89. They'd only missed the tournament one time until 2014, 2015. That's what I'm saying. It it is crazy from '80 1985 to 1986. Okay, they missed the tournament two times until the 2014, 2015 season. Unreal. That's what I mean when it's like, yeah, they both bottomed out like vandy basketball i didn't want to say like demean going 0 and 18 in those yeah. <laughs> but like they both bottomed out the difference is vandy basketball was never didn't have as far to fall they fell off like a five-story building vandy women's basketball fell off like a 15-story building yeah that's the difference there so yeah. one of them you break your legs one of them you're dead yeah. So that's the that's the yeah. difference in the downfalls that we've seen in I those mean, two programs. I, I do not envy Shea Ralph and Jerry Oh Stephens. my god. Oh I mean for what they've had to do the the hand they were dealt it's 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 incredible. It, Shea it's, Ralph it's, specifically, like she, I think she is like universally. You can't really find anybody with a bad word to say about Shea Ralph no, and the Vanderbilt fan base. First Stackhouse, like they both got handed terrible spots, but yeah, more eyes, more criticism, yeah. but yeah, Shea in, Ralph in that, is much more on the uh, good side of Vanderbilt fans. Yeah, I, I would say so. In that building, well, they've got a lot of trust in her as they should, you know, coming from a program like UConn, she's got that college experience as an assistant. She knows how to win and she knows the steps it has to take. So uh, again, as we talk about their downfall, I, I do think the future's bright. You know, oh I no, mean, this is not yeah. to like say anything <laughs> negative. This has nothing. Everything I just said has nothing to do with the current staff. We, we can have a current, whole episode about team. their downfall. Yeah. Yeah, but I, that, I'm totally I mean, it would you. probably be an uninformed analytical downfall versus the downfall <laughs> episode on the men's program. We got we have we have to do a deep dive. We will like a two we hour will. episode at the end of the we season. Will. We'll, we'll get a, go into we'll it. get a guy on from each era and and uh, separate mm. it that way. That, that would be interesting. I like I know, that. I would be. I know Coach Bargatze would, would agree. A history with that, of Vanderbilt's basketball, yeah. Vanderbilt basketball series. But man, just brutal, just brutal that they they had it against Florida. Uh, they just kind of fell apart down at the end, just like Vanderbilt did on Tuesday night, uh, and and they're season's over but again the future's bright and well let's move over to Vanderbilt men's basketball and let's talk about that Tuesday night loss to the Florida Gators Florida 82 Vandy 78 Florida they're still on the bubble I think this win kind of you know put them up into that uh, that, that tournament play uh, I don't know what seed they're at right because now because it's a Q1 win yeah because yeah it's guess a, what? It's a, that's the when they were breaking that down that just made it feel so stupid Everything yeah. we talked about. When the fact that Vanderbilt in that Q1 counts the exact same as Auburn, like that's, it, it that's really does in those NCAA net, how they view that and how they list it. When you think about it from that perspective, that's insane. It's, that, I mean, it's that's great. like counting that's like counting a Missouri football win the same as a win against Alabama. In the college when you're football two, when you're tra- Yeah. Yes, it's that ridiculous. is literally the same thing. You are counting a win against the number one team, the same as the win, a win against like the number 78 team. Yeah. Like you were counting them the exact same, like not obviously not, they listed out, but like on the broader term, when they break down teams, the record versus Q1 that is always talked about. That's what you're looking at. It's not 
it's apples to oranges. Yeah. Like it's not the, a win is not a win in Q1. I don't know yeah. why it's talked about yeah. like that. And you know, you can talk about a win as a win as a win, but in that, in that Q1 win, it's that's, not that's, when you're ranking no. for the NCAA tournament. No, I, I would, I would agree with you. <laughs> so Vanderbilt falls below 500 for the first time this season, which I mean, that, that's, that's a step forward. They're six and 11 in the SEC now. Well, just brutal. I mean, ninth straight loss to Florida. They were up by five with one minute to play. We know how it ended. They just couldn't close the deal. Up by five with a minute to play, Will, that, that's pretty hard to do, to, to lose that. And, and I don't care who you are, even if you're Vandy. I know as Vandy fans, uh, some of them will, you know, won't be surprised by the fact that they lost. But I think from a general college basketball perspective, you're up by five with one minute to play and you find a way to lose doesn't happen very often. I mean, we've seen, we've seen games like that happen, but boy, I mean, that's in the minority. So uh, Vanderbilt will likely play Georgia on Wednesday night in the SEC tournament. Uh, I think it will, do they still have a shot? If Ole Miss beats Vandy, could that put Vandy to the 12 seed? I, I'm, I was kind of searching for that. I, I think they're locked in at the 11 seed right now. Let me look at the standing. There's a lot here. of uh, there's still a lot of movement that can happen. No, they're they're I, locked. Yeah, yeah they're okay, completely that, locked because they have two games of separation on both sides. They're okay, sandwiched that, between Mississippi State and Ole Miss, and they're yeah. two games behind State and two games ahead of Ole yeah. Miss. The bigger issue here, though, is the fact that right after they beat A&M, they fell. Uh, they, they fell below A&M. You know, and, and that, that was a bigger issue. But so they're at the 11 seed right now, Will, and this could be controversial, but because of the fact that they're playing on a Wednesday night, I have to call this season a failure. You know, we, we talked about that in our season preview. If Vandy plays in the Wednesday night game of the SEC tournament for the third straight year, we're, I'm going to have to consider this season a failure. Now, that doesn't mean there was an improvement. That doesn't mean that, that Stackhouse, you know, has it on the right track, but it's just hard to call this season any sort of success. It, it really is. And I, I don't like absolutes. I, I, I really, I usually don't go with those when, when, we're, when we're talking about calling a season a success versus a failure. Uh, but I, it's just, it's hard to see this season as a success as a whole. I know they still got a game against Ole Miss coming up. They still can win some in the SEC tournament. Uh, but right now, I mean, that, that was what we talked about. You know, and, and, and I, I had kind of had that, had that in the back of my mind of, if this team still plays in that Wednesday night game, I can't call it a success. So uh, we, we can get into that a lot more, but we'll more deeper in this game. Vandy made 15 threes, but they still found a way to fold in the final minutes. And I think an even more telling stat here, Will, the free throw line. Florida shot 86% from the free throw line, while Vandy shot 50% from the free throw line. They also had more turnovers than Florida, 15 costly turnovers, especially a lot of them coming late in the game. And from two of their biggest players, Jordan Wright had five turnovers. Scotty Pippen had three. Florida only had eight turnovers. And it reminded me of the Tennessee loss, Will. You know, I mean, Tennessee just did whatever they had to do down the stretch to get the win. And they took advantage of Vandy's mistakes. And Vandy just kind of had it on a platter for them. Same thing happened against Florida. Vanderbilt did everything in that game up until the last minute to win that game. And it came down to free throws and turnovers. It, it really did. And, and I just think this team, we've talked about it, Will, they don't know how to win. And, yes, I know they've gotten good wins against LSU. And, you know, they, they, had some, they had a good run of success there at home. But they still don't know how to win, especially late in games. They might win 39 minutes. They might win 38 minutes. And they, we've seen them win first halves. We've seen them win second halves. But they have not put together – Okay, I hate – but they have put together a 40-minute win. They have. 
But when when they have to, consistently, they it, yes, consistently, when they needed it against Florida, they couldn't. When they really could have used it against Tennessee, they couldn't. And we've seen it happen here down the stretch of a season. And I think the fact that they've fallen apart here down the stretch of the season, it kind of goes in line with they've fallen apart down the stretch of games. And, and it's kind of a microcosm of the season in this program. I, all that to say, Will, there, there's still some good that I saw from this game. Uh, you know, the fact that they were able to control most of the game, that, that was impressive. But it, it kind of lingered in the back of your mind, uh-oh, what's going to happen here late with a minute to play? You, you never know. And, and it, it came down to some of those inbounds passes and just some, some, some mental mistakes, some mental lapses. And, well, it, it's just it's, – it's, you know, new game, same story. So, Scottie Pippen, 29 points, 7 assists. He, he really did all he could except missing a free throw uh, there in the front end of the one-on-one. Trey Thomas had a huge game, 5-3, 17 points. I was kind of confused, Will. Liam Robbins only played 12 minutes. And it's not like he got into foul trouble. He had three fouls, but it, he, know, he did. Didn't, he did. He didn't. He didn't foul. He did out get in or, foul trouble or anything. But um, you know, eight points in twelve minutes. That obviously he, they could have used a little bit more of Robbins on the floor. But but man, there's a lot to get into, Will. And but for me, I, I, I'm still in the belief that this. See, I haven't seen enough improvement. Like uh, you know, I, I'm in that belief right now that yes, I've seen some improvement, but from a Vanderbilt fan's perspective. I understand why there's there there's still so much negativity, you know, because I think a lot of Vandy fans are used to, okay, year three of Stackhouse, and I know year three it could, took Stallings the, the same amount of time, you know, I mean it's very similar. It didn't Stallings wasn't an NCAA tournament team in his third year, but there's not enough improvement for me, and you know it, it's just hard to call this season any sort of success. So we're gonna get into a lot, Will, but initially, uh, just kind of your thoughts here on uh, on what was a brutal night in, in Memorial. There's a lot. There's so much to There's get into in this game. And I, because they still have a game left and they still have the SEC tournament. So I, I want to save comments, comments for the whole season until after the actual season is over. So I'm going to try to not make overarching statements. But yeah, it's, it's going to be hard to call the season a success withholding, you know, a great run here yeah. of winning two, the last three straight games to close out the season and losing in the quarterfinals of the mm-hmm. SEC tournament. I mean, they had injuries. I don't think that I would say it was a failure. I certainly wouldn't say it was. I would just give it a C. It would just mm-hmm. be so such just a like you had two injuries. You never really got fully healthy. It feels like you've wasted Scottie Pippen Jr. And you've wasted these performances he's having. Dude had 32 last game, lost. 29 this game, lost. I mean, he was good. But this team got out to a slow start. They got out to a slow, slow start against Florida. They were down 11-3 to at like the 16 and a half minutes left mm. in the first half. Three and a half minutes into the game, you're down. And that's a tough way to start. But you said the free throw percentages. Um, and, and I want to say on that note, that it's not the free throw percentages, which three of six is bad, but it's the six part of that. They shot 50%, but they only had six attempts mm-hmm. the whole game. Vanderbilt is number six in the country in free throws attempted compared to field goals attempted. They get fouled a lot. That's what they do. They get to the free throw line. And, I, and Florida is not particularly good or bad at sending or not sending guys or fouling or not fouling they're right but they're about 150th in the country in that stat so it makes no sense why Vanderbilt only shot six free throws this game they shot because I was looking at the box score afterwards and I felt like they didn't go to the free throw line a lot Florida was 12 of 14 Vanderbilt was three of six 
basically what that means is the referees allowed both teams for the most part to just foul the shit out of each other and just they called a ton of offensive fouls i mean my god this was one of this was probably the worst referee in crew i've seen this who i've got to look up the names of the referees this is legitimately a crew that if i saw them doing a game and i was jerry stackhouse or i was candace story lee i would email and send a memo to the sec officiating office say we will not be playing because this like it was stuff like there were multiple times when the when the baseline guy was follow trailing the play and on tv you could see him with his head turned not watching the play and blindly blowing the whistle at the after effects of the play of a guy losing the ball him turning his head seeing him lose the ball and instinctually calling a foul yeah. just because of how the guys were standing. Yeah, it's Two almost or three like the players that game. committed the foul was surprised and, about it. And not only that, it's not just that because they didn't call a lot of fouls. It's the amount of offensive fouls they called. The only time, I was about to drop an F-bomb and I didn't, be proud of me. <laughs> the only time that an offensive foul should be called ever, and this is somebody that was a shooter and not a great defender, and theoretically I should be in favor of offensive fouls because I'm not right. a driver. The only time that should be called is when the offensive player fully initiates contact and the defender is moving either completely laterally while the offensive player is still on the ground or moving backwards. If there is any, I mean a millimeter of movement forward from the defender, it is a no call or a block. There, it is so broken in college basketball. Yeah. About ninety percent of these charges are guys sliding under guys that have already left the ground, which is not a charge because you can't control where you land. The guy has to be planted before your foot leaves the ground. That never happens. I mean, one I out of know, thirty charge charges. One out of thirty charges are is the guy where it's like that is the guy actually planted. And then if it's not that, it has to be an egregious because the offensive player has right to move. He has a right to freedom of movement. And like they had the thing in the NBA with freedom of movement rules. They didn't do that in college, but it still applies in the game of basketball. The, The offensive player has the right to move forward. The only time he doesn't is when the defender is occupying that space, moving laterally or backwards. And that is not how they officiate. I don't understand. It is an offensive player moving normally to the side, not even directly towards the basket, and the player will slide over, cutting off the offensive player who was already in his motion, and then call it a charge. The offensive player didn't initiate a bit of that contact. The defender initiated every bit of the contact, then flew backwards. And Liam Robbins, you said he uh, didn't play much. He did pick up. He came in the game. He didn't start. He picked up two fouls in his first minute of playing time in the first half at like the 15-minute mark. Got taken out, didn't play the rest of the first half. That's the reason for his minutes. Now, why he still played that same number of 12 minutes? Because he only had like 30 that's, seconds that's in the first what, half. That's what confused That's me. the question. Yeah. Because, man, they could have used that offense, and he was three oh, for yeah. three. Yeah, they really could have, Will. And, and you know, we, we talk about his rotations a lot, um, but at the same time, you know, when you pick up two fouls in the first half and, you know, he may or may not have been comfortable. He may, you know, we talk about him being gassed. There, there's always ancillary things within the team. That, I'm that not. So I defended that one on the other one on Stackhouse's rotation with him being gassed and saying yeah, he did come yeah, out of the game. If yeah. Liam Robbins was gassed after playing 12 minutes, yeah, kick him off the team. Yeah, 
No, I, I, no, I, I, that, like, there's I, I don't, no I, I'm not, way that that I'm not was saying the reason. That was the issue. I don't. Th- I'm not saying that was the reason, but because <laughs> you know, I am in bad shape, and I'm uh, there goes yeah. my who watch. Kn- but I'm in bad shape and 24 years old, and I and I can roll up there and play 12 yeah. minutes of basketball and not be yeah. gassed. But will I want to go a little bit deeper and, and talk about kind of the the roots of these of these issues and, and and really start to ask the question: Why are these happening? Why are the same issues? Why do they keep happening? And you know, we're not going to throw blame anywhere, but I really think it's a combination of. You know, these guys have experience. We've seen, uh, you know, some 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 we saw three wins last year. They 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 have that experience of 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 winning games, but it's nothing. It's nothing, you know, in substantial. You know, it's not like they won. They found a way to win eight SEC games last year. And, and w- learning how to win is a process. You know, I mean, it it doesn't come in one year. Sometimes it doesn't come in two years. And especially with a coach that is only in his third year uh, coaching college basketball, it takes time. So what I've been trying to figure out is down the stretch of these games, why why does this keep happening? And, and, you know, we've we've seen them. We've seen this not happen. It didn't happen against LSU. They were able to get wins. We saw it happen on the road against Arkansas, God forbid, and and they were able to do what they needed to do and get the win there. But I think when these games matter and and in the crunch time, it's almost like these guys in the last minute of the game, they, they, I hate saying forget how to play basketball, but it's almost like too much is racing in their mind and they get sped up. So, um, Will, and, and I think that also goes along with uh, somewhat of an inexperienced coaching staff. I and mean, Coach Stackhouse is, is in his third year, and him himself is still trying to learn how to win games at the SEC level. And you've got some experience there with, with the assistants, uh, Coach Conroy, and then um, you know, you've know you got another assistant they brought over from, from Georgia. I always forget his name. But uh, at the same time, Will, I think it, it's it, it's going to take a lot more than than just one season or two seasons for this type of program. If Vanderbilt had a more experienced coach, they brought in um, you know some some guy who had had ten years of of coaching at the college level. That might it might be a different story. But I think this is this is the position we're in right now. And for for a coach like Jerry Stackhouse. He's he's very similar to the players in the fact that he's he's still learning how to coach his team to wins in these situations. So, well, I'm still trying to figure out, but I, I do think it 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 comes down to the last minute or two of these of most of these losses. I mean, that it's really what it has come down to. They they came back, um, you know, in in several of these games, but they just weren't able to finish that deal. And we talked about it. They they did everything in this game. It less it, it, except for that last minute of this game. So it's it's hard to 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 handpick and and pick out what is the issue. It's kind of similar to football, but at the same time, it's right in front of our eyes and and we're looking at it. so I think the more important question is why? Like like why do these keep happening, Will? That's what I'm asking. <laughs> do you, I have an answer. <laughs> I mean, that's the problem is it it's not a fun answer. It's not an easily fixable answer, but it's an answer. I mean, the, Vanderbilt doesn't their in their players are not making plays at the end of games. Simple, plain and simple. You look at the stre- last stretch against Florida, and it breaks it down pretty perfectly. I mean, the difference. This isn't coaching. This isn't Florida sideline. This isn't Jerry Stackhouse. This isn't, isn't his staff. This isn't play calls. This isn't timeout usage. This isn't. This is players for Florida 
made plays at the end of the game completely unrelated to coaching that Vanderbilt's players did not make. And that has happened over and over and over and over and over this season. Did Jerry Stackhouse miss that layup that Jordan Wright missed? Did he make Scottie Pippen Jr. take that run-out layup and get blocked? Did he make Scottie Pippen Jr. miss the front end of that free throw one-and-one? Did he make Colin Castleton make four of four free throws in the last stretch of that game? No, Florida's coach didn't do that either. Vanderbilt's players choke consistently. And that's like his, that's not that's not a thing that's like negative. That's not saying that they're doing anything wrong, that they're going out there and wanting to lose or not executing right. or not they're not mentally in it. Like that's not what I'm saying. They are just at the end of the games not making plays. Every you can break down whatever you want to. But if Vanderbilt goes up and and if Colin Castleton goes two of four from the free throw line and Vanderbilt goes 100% from the free throw line at the end of the game, Vanderbilt wins the game. Simple. There you go. If Jordan Wright makes that layup or dishes it out to Trey Thomas, Trey Thomas has an open look for three for the win or we're going to overtime. Neither of those things happen. Jordan Wright misses the layup. And the stories go on and on and on and on. And that's, that's where it is because I was getting so mad at things because I am not sold on Jerry Stackhouse. I am not sold that he is the future coach. I'm not a massive proponent of Jerry Stackhouse. But right now, if you are blaming these losses on Jerry Stackhouse, it's almost as ignorant as if you blame the losses on Clark Lee in, in football. It's the same level of ignorance saying that Jerry Stackhouse is the reason they're losing these games. Is his rotation maybe a contributing factor to the losses or timeout usage a contributing factor? Yeah, probably. It's, it's some of those things contribute to it. But if you swap the jerseys of those players or swap the sidelines and Jerry Stackhouse is coaching Florida the last five minutes of that game, they still win. Like that, that's where I get to. I, I don't think anybody in their right mind would say that there was a coaching decision made by Florida that won them the game. There, was, there also, on the other side, was not a coaching decision from Jerry Stackhouse that lost them the game. The players lost the game on Vanderbilt's side. And just as much as Florida on the other side, they won the game. They hit shots late when they needed them. They got offensive rebounds. They hit free throws when they got the opportunity. That's how you win. That's winning basketball. At the end of the first half, Florida doesn't turn the ball over and have a four-point swing. Vanderbilt does that. That's not a coaching decision. Jerry Stackhouse said one up, four down, give the ball to Trey Thomas, and Trey Thomas got his pocket picked. Florida gets the ball, scores, as opposed to possibly being tied going into halftime, worst case being down two, you're now down four points. And you also don't have the momentum. That's not a coaching decision. That's not something Jerry Stackhouse drew up to. Let's have Trey Thomas get his pocket picked by Florida's defender up top one-on-one. Is that something that you think Jerry Stackhouse told Trey Thomas to do is to get the ball stolen from him before he can even get into the play? Because if you don't say yes to that question, then you can't blame Jerry Stackhouse for this loss. Because that's every loss this entire season, almost. That's the loss against Florida. That's the loss against Mississippi State. That's the loss against Alabama. These are not losses that are coaching decisions. These are guys missing shots at the end of the game for Vanderbilt or not executing defensively, not pulling a defensive rebound, not coming up with a clutch offensive rebound. And other teams do it. Week in, week out against Vanderbilt. Game in, game out. And it's, it's not coaching. Coaching doesn't tell you to pull that offensive rebound or tip the ball out to the shooter. Just like I'm not giving Jerry Stackhouse 
credit through the roof for the win over Texas A&M. If you're going to blame him for this loss, then you have better been praising him, like holding him up as coaching God, the replacement of Coach K after that Texas A&M win. Because you can't have one side of the coin without the other. You, it's like with quarterbacks is, yes, they get a majority of the glory when they win, but they also get a majority of the blame. I don't feel like Vanderbilt's fan base does that with Stackhouse. I don't feel like that when he's winning and doing well and when he pulls off the win that they say, what an incredible coaching performance from Jerry Stackhouse. I mean, he just outcoached the other sideline. The only reason we won was the plays he drew up and the timeout usage and rotation usage. He was mentally better than the opponent. You don't hear that. But you hear on the other side every time they lose a close game that what was he doing with this rotation and this was all because of this and this was what is he doing with this play calling and why is he having this and what's he doing subbing in Trey Thomas or Liam Robbins and I sound like an unreal Jerry Stackhouse defender right now. But all I'm saying is give the guy a fair shake. Nobody's giving him a fair shake because you're still pissed off we suck because of Bryce Drew. That has nothing to do with Jerry Stackhouse. You're still mad Darius Garland tore his meniscus. That's not in the control of Jerry Stackhouse. So quit judging this team through the lens of this pile of shit that he was left by Bryce Drew with no talent and give the guy a fucking chance because he's about to bring in the best class we have seen since the class that got decimated by injuries that we were ready to crown Bryce Drew on the Mount Rushmore of SEC head coaches in basketball. So chill, give him a sec. If I hear another person call to fire Jerry Stackhouse or say things aren't going to get better, then I seem to be like, you're just ignorant. Because right now, if you're not looking forward and saying that this next season is make or break, this next season, this next season is where you can judge. If they come out and suck and do the same thing, fine. I'll come in, uh, on here and rip him to the high heavens. But Coach K could not come onto this Vanderbilt team and get them to the NCAA tournament this year with the injuries they've had. I don't care. It is not a coach. Just like Nick Saban can't come over and coach the Vanderbilt Commodores and replace Clark Lee and have them win six games. It, it doesn't matter. It's not on the coach. He's doing what he can, bringing in talent, because he was left with a literal pile of shit, a team that couldn't even win the OVC. And you're telling me you expect him in year three to be competing at the top level against top seven SEC opponents? You're out of your fucking mind. And you can edit out the Fs, Billy. I'm sorry. <laughs> You done yet, Will? I'm done now. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, well, I I agreed with most of what you said, but but I'll 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 say this: when when you have uh, these recurring losses that happen and recurring themes uh, throughout a season, and and kind of a, a an honestly a lack of leadership, you know, where where's the leader on this team? You know, I mean, it could be Scottie Pippen. It could be you know sometimes it's Jordan Wright. I think finding that leader is 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 on the shoulders of a coach and leadership. It starts with a coach. You know, it starts with that guy at the top on the sideline. And, you know, I know he didn't he wasn't the guy that 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 missed the layup, had his layup block. You know, I know all of those things. Uh, but at the same time, you know, there, there's certain things throughout a season that happen. And it's almost like, OK, you know, how you know, why? Why does this keep happening? And, and in my in my mind, it's it's almost like you know, there's, there's, there's a, there's a lack of leadership there. You know, there, 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 there's a lack of, of, of a leadership presence and that starts with a coach. Now at the same time, I, I agree with the, with the pile of shit. I agree with, with everything you said in, in terms of the hand that he was dealt, uh, you know, but I think there comes a point where, okay, 
how much is this going to change next season? You know, they're not getting much older next season. I mean, yeah, it's going to, it's going to change. I, I will, I but, will like anybody that wants to, I'll take a bet right now. Like with anyone that, that comes on Twitter and has these takes, I'm like as much money as you want straight up. I bet they will be, they will win at least seven games in the SEC, eight games, nine games minimum. They will not be playing that opening night game. They will be a, an eight seater above yeah. in the SEC. Like they will at that's, least be a nine seater above top nine, top eight. That's minimum next year. Just the talent. You can put no coach on the team next year and they'll win that many games with the talent barring injuries. And that, that basketball is not football, man. It's you can roll out five dudes on a court. And most of the time, coach on one side, on the side with the less talented players, the coach team is still going to lose. Like, that's the part of basketball that's different than football. If you roll out an SEC football program with no coach on the sideline against a mid-major level football program or a mid-level, like, I don't know, I don't want to say Tech because they would still be Tennessee Tech, but we'll say like a, a Western Kentucky Western Kentucky wins if they have a coach on the sideline and Vanderbilt just has a bunch of players. In basketball, if you just stuck like seven dudes on one sideline and then a fully coached team on the other side, it doesn't matter. The better players are still going to win like eight, nine out of ten times. It doesn't matter. That's where the coaching is. The coaching is getting the players in, getting them to play hard, and coaches don't pick leaders. I mean, your leader has to emerge. If a coach comes up and says, this is our team captain, that's not the leader. That's your team captain. Your leader is the guy that comes out there, and it's the one that at the free throw line who is who is naturally being turned to, and that's got to be Scotty Pippen Jr. Now, it, it, the the leader who and who it needs to be is obvious. Who has to be the leader on this team is, I mean, clear as day. There's no other option. You have clearly one guy that is the best on this roster. And as of right now, because he's been so incredible, like I don't want to put the losses on Pippen because he's the guy that's performing so well. But like if you're talking lack of leadership, then in my opinion, you've got to point towards Scottie Pippen Jr. in his third season and still saying he hasn't emerged as a leader in his third year of being the best player on the team. Yeah, That raises some red yeah. flags there and question marks. But I don't want to do that because that's yeah. not how I view it. So yeah, it's like, that's a it's, tough it's just, angle for me. It's just late in games. They, these this team looks like they're in the clouds. They they don't they they just you know, they have nowhere to go to. You know, you could say they go to Scottie Pippen, but he misses the free throw on a front end of a one and one. And so they, they, you know they don't, they can't turn to their coach. And so I, I just think a lot of those issues start with the coach. You know, we we were I think we both said we predicted this team to stay out of that Wednesday night game. And Stackhouse before the year is talking about we're going to be in the top half of the league. We're going to be a top seven team. And I know they had injuries, you know, and, and, and you know, we, 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 we talk about Chapman being out. But Robbins, at the same time, you know, he, he came back and I know he may not be at 100 percent. But at the same time, you've got Pippen in his third year, Jordan Wright in, in, in his third year. You know, you, you've got dudes that have done it and you may, they may not have done it at the high level. But I just think right now th- there's not enough for me to say that next season's going to be a whole lot different, you know, and, and, and that could be controversial. Well, this is, but This is all pending on health because I, I think we can – I think even the most adamant Stackhouse hater would say that when they had the stretch of like four games this entire season, when they had a full roster, and not a fully healthy roster, but everyone was active because – you can't, it's hard to explain even the impact of not just not having Robbins doing everything with the team throughout the entire first three, four months of the year, and Chapman as well has on the rhythm. But when they were healthy, they were still 
good. They were still very, very, very. They were the only team in the entire conference that has beaten one of the top, I believe it's four SEC opponents in their home arena. And it was Arkansas. Vanderbilt, I think they're 64 and one at home, and Vanderbilt's the only one that has beaten any of them. And guess what? They were fully healthy with the team we anticipated. And I believe that's one of like three total games, including a 61 to 42 Florida loss where they were healthy. But it's hard to, that's why I just give it a C is because we don't know. We don't know what this, how good this team would have been. We don't know where they would have finished because you were missing 40% of your starting rotation for about 90, 95% of the season. And if you took out 40% of any team in any sport starting lineup and said they're not going to play 90% of the season and you had somebody come on a podcast or come on TV and blame the coach, say, dude, they're missing 40% of their team, which is how you have to view it from the starting perspective and say, okay, maybe we can look until next year. Oh, wait, he's bringing in a great recruiting class. We should definitely fire this guy. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying they should fire Stackhouse, but <laughs> no, it, I'm, it, I'm I'm not talking about you, Billy. This is not this is not me throwing, I know, throwing I know, shots I know, at you. Yeah, I know there's fan there's there's people out there, but you know, I, I don't think I don't think we're deferring in at the extreme level. Like like I said, I agree with most of what you said, um, but you know, I'm just I'm not ready to say next year is is going to be you know it's going to be an improvement you know, and, and I think that's obvious. Um, but I'm I'm lo- I'm looking forward to this team. And and in the in this group, this program as a whole to to find that leader and, and, and take pride in the leader that Coach Stackhouse is. And next year, Pippen's going to be gone and Chapman's going to be gone. There's oh, going to have to there's going to oh, have to be somebody Pippen. emerge. It, who knows? Who knows? I still think if Pippen's Pippen gone. comes back. This, if Pippen comes back, this is a top 25 team and I'll call my shot there. If Pippen comes back, they'll be top 25. We'll, we'll there's, see. There's my we'll shot. See. We'll go back and clip that yeah. uh, for later on. But, that, but that's a long shot that Scotty Pippen yeah. returns. Big, big this is all pending, all pending staying healthy, Billy, which yep. is uh, we, we literally makes all this irrelevant because yeah. there's no way they're going to stay healthy. It's an impossibility. So, bottom line, the curse continues. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's what we'll say there. But, well, it, the nightmare continues. Stackhouse said it after the game. It just feels like we're living in a nightmare right now. And that was actually – that was pretty sad to hear. Like – and and but I, I think for a lot of fans they obviously agreed with Stackhouse there because the nightmare continues. He, it would have been funny if he said the curse continues. Uh, he was he was not going to say that. But uh, well, in the losses this season, it's been turnovers and free throws, and that haunted them again on Tuesday night. And uh, like I said, Wright had five, Scotty had three, and down the stretch, I mean, the same stuff keeps happening. But uh, surprisingly, this team. Uh, if the chances are still there, uh, you know, the NIT committee may just be, all right, we're done with Vandy, but technically they still have a chance for the NIT if they beat Ole Miss. And I would say they have to win two in the SEC tournament. I have no clue well, what the committee judges them I on. I think the NIT, man. Because you, ma- you can make it with a 500 record. Yeah. But at the same time, there's a lot of bids that are going to be stolen from a lot of those bubble teams, a lot of those mid-major teams that lose that conference championship, like we talked about last episode. So there's going to be a lot of bids stolen. I doubt I'd be very surprised if they make it, even if they went out. I, I just would because of where they're at right now and, and, and you know, some of the eye tests and some of the games that we've seen and how they've unfolded. But we'll see. We'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll be watching the NIT selection show. I don't think they have one, but we'll uh, we'll, we'll be do. tuned. In. We'll, okay, we'll, we'll tune into that. But well, Ole Miss Saturday. I can tell, I can tell you haven't followed many uh, mid-major basketball programs, no, Billy, no, when no. we talk about the NIT, because I've, I've watched it 
a I'm lot. Not, I'm not Steve Byram, the will, the, yeah. the, the Belmont, uh, the, the Belmont lover, but uh, I, I will say that. And I, so they have to win this Ole Miss game pretty much like to even yeah. have a shot because first off it's the 500 record. So if they beat Ole Miss and then we're under the assumption they would have to beat Georgia, that's a given in the first round for any of this. But if they win those two, we're going to be Vanderbilt and then lose in the second round of the SEC tournament. They're going to be on the NIT bubble, and yeah. it's going to depend bubble, on how things work out. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be how things work out in these conference tournaments for these mid-major level programs. And if they beat Ole Miss and win two games in the SEC tournament, they'll make it. Not yeah. not a doubt. But uh, yeah. but if they win the two, if they win this one and the next one, I think they've. I think it'll be a coin flip. It's all going to come down to what yeah. happens if yeah. you know these these schools that are up there at the top level of their conferences mm-hmm. all season end up losing. I think they get in over Vanderbilt, but it's going to be hard to keep a team with star power and a decent amount of Q1 wins and above a 500 record, which they would have. I, I think that would be tough yeah. to keep them out if they can win three, if they can win two yeah. games in the in the Ole Miss game and then one conference game. I think that that gives yeah. them at least a little bit of a shot. Yeah, we'll see. Kerm- Kermit Davis, by the way, he's going to have his guys ready to play. I know Ole Miss has had kind of a down year, but uh, it's not an easy game uh, to end your season on, uh, like it is in every SEC game except for Georgia. V- Vandy's held to handle no. Georgia pretty. Yeah, well. I was about to say Ole Miss is one of one of the easiest. There's not an yeah. easy game besides short. Well, I don't even want to call anything easy, <laughs> but. There, there's not a, an easier matchup than Georgia outside of Ole Miss and what Missouri. I think that's yeah. pretty much it. Yeah, uh, that, as far as matchups, you can say that are like, okay, we should win this. Yeah. Not that, that tells we have you, a chance, but that, we should. That tells you how much better the SEC's gotten. The basement is a lot smaller. You know, I, I, I wouldn't even call Vandy really in the basement. I know they're playing in that Thursday night game, but I mean, they were in the middle of pack for. for they're in, a, they're a, in their own. Season. You have the three teams in the basement, and then you have the Vanderbilt tier, and then it goes to the next tier. The it's there in their own. Yeah, they're they're two games. Like I said, they're two games above the next closest, and two yeah. games behind the next closest. That's a pretty tough thing to do, to like just be at this point in the year and be like, you're just on your own. Out of fourteen teams, you were just uniquely this level of talented this year and this level of team. Vandy, so th- Vandy, <laughs> Vandy's made the tough things to do pretty easy this year. And, and well, yeah, I, especially say- when, especially when you're not at the very top or the very bottom, that's what yeah. you usually see is like teams on their own, like separated by that or at the very top or they really suck. Vanderbilt <laughs> has managed to be like, not, they've managed to do it right in the middle. They've yeah, managed to do it like lower mid tier, which is like, Oh, they're, they're, yeah, they're, we're not the worst. Like <laughs> they're walking up the stairs from the basement to the upstairs. They're they're, yeah. they're, 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 they're uh, to the middle level. They're walking up to that middle level, but they're not. Yeah, they're when actually, it has the little turn, like yeah. on the turnaround, has the what do you call it, landing or whatever. Yeah. That's where they're. They've at. they've, they've been landing. walking on those stairs all season long. They made it to the mid level. Like but, I'm saying, they're about to hop on the elevator. Nobody, yep. nobody will listen to me. I'm telling you, this class next season. I'm telling you. These I'm, guys, I'm, it, it's, I'm clipping it's basketball, that, Will. man. I, I'm clipping Clip that. I'm telling I'm you, if Colin that. Smith, Noah Shelby, and Lee Dort stay healthy, you can put them out on this team right now, and they will win the next two games if you put them on this roster. I will bet my life that if you put I'm, those three I'm guys on this it. roster, those three guys on this roster, on this current roster, just plug them in, they would beat the hell out of Ole Miss and Georgia. 
Those are three guys oh, right yeah. now that would average double digits on this team. You know, a year well, Noah Shelby obviously not because he's recovering from injury. Wishing him the best, our, our because, prayers and because thoughts. Because of course he is. Because of course he is. But like Colin Smith alone would be such a huge addition with how Jordan Co- runs slumping. I, I bet right Stackhouse, Stackhouse is uh, he's salivating over getting Colin. Colin Smith, Smith Colin Smith, and Noah Shelby. The thing is, those two guys. If you haven't watched a lot of film. The one word to describe their game, not saying they don't play, they are scorers. Yep. Like the, they the put word the ball we use, in the basket. Those two dudes get their own shot and they put it in the basket if they're open. And that they is something it. that we have not seen a lot of, Billy. We haven't seen a ton of putting it in the basket, uh, That's especially. Big part, yeah. <laughs> especially, part of the game. <laughs> especially late in games, man. Uh, that's that's been something. I like to point out Vandy shot over fifty percent from three and lost. Yeah. By the way, game. fifteen threes. Incredible. Over give, 50, give it up shot, it's that is like the Titans having nine sacks and losing to the Bengals in the playoffs. You shot fifty one percent from three and hit fifteen, shot over fifty six percent from the field, and you lost. Yeah. Like that is that's it's amazing. Kinda, it's that they can it's do hard that. to do, man. That's it's, it's new it's, ways, baby. Vandy always finds new ways. <laughs> reinventing reinventing the yeah. wheel, man. That, that's yes, what sir. they do. But reinventing well, the wheel, cat with a capital L at the end of the wheel. <laughs> Oh man, what what an episode! Uh, I, I'm sure this will get this will this will get some some uh, some reception. But Will Ron Bargatze's coming up. Uh, he's a former Vanderbilt basketball assistant coach under Roy Skinner in the early '70s. We talk uh, talk Vanderbilt basketball. We talk SEC hoops, and uh, we've got Ron Bargatze coming up here on the Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back into the Door Report. I'm Billy Derrick, and I'd like to welcome in Mr. Ron Bargatze. They call him Mr. Basketball here in the Mid-State, former Vanderbilt basketball assistant coach under Roy Skinner in the early 70s and coached in many other uh, local colleges here here in the Mid-State as well, high schools. He's, he, they call him Mr. Basketball for a reason. Coach, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? It's that time of year. No, no doubt about it. We, we've hit March and it, it's uh, for a lot of basketball people. It's the best time of year. And I want to start with are, are you coach. Are you calling any high school tournament games this season? Yes. Uh, tomorrow I'll be doing the uh, uh, D- division two single A and double A boys championship games. The game uh, one thirty will be the single A boys. See how that goes. I, I'm pretty familiar with a couple of the teams that are playing there. And then, of course, the uh, in the AA, Brentwood Academy got beat. Uh, a little bit of a surprise. They were 30-0, yeah. and 0 and they got beat. And uh, I, I was thinking maybe we might have a Christian Brothers-Brentwood Academy final, but uh, that's not to be. Yeah, you got Knoxville Catholic and uh, and uh, Christian Brothers over there, so so that should be fun to watch. Uh, good luck to you tomorrow. And I want to I want to go to Vandy now, Coach, and. I don't know how much you were able to watch on Tuesday night. That was quite a heartbreaker inside Memorial Gym. It was likely Scotty Pippen Jr.'s last game at Memorial. Uh, Florida, I don't know if you saw this stat, Coach, but Florida had a 4.5% chance of beating Vanderbilt with with less than a minute left, uh, according to Ken Palm's uh, win probability chart. And 
Coach Stackhouse, after the game, he said it feels like we're living in a nightmare right now, and I think a lot of fans uh, would agree with him on that. First off, how much of that were you able to watch, and if so, what, what were your thoughts after after Tuesday night? Well, uh, you know, I was disappointed they were not able to inbound, inbound the ball successfully on that one possession that seemed like would have a, a successful uh, entry into possession would probably resulted in a win. Uh, and, you know, certain missed shots, a turnover here and there, next thing you know, but uh, an amazing 9-0 run in 30 seconds, that, that, will, that will live with you for a while. Yep, no doubt. Coach, why is it that this team, do you think, seems to kind of shrivel up and, 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 and fold down the stretch of a lot of these big games? They've had some big wins. They beat a couple good teams at home at Memorial. But what, what are some of the core issues you think that, that revolve around this team that kind of down the stretch, they just they, they can't really close them out? Well, one thing is the other teams, they, they played very, very well against a lot of teams in the league. And it seems if they really get pressured at the end that the maybe a little superior talent takes over a little bit and then they get a few breaks. Uh, hard to figure. Some teams win all the close ones and some teams seem to lose them all. But when it's all said and done, it, it evens out pretty good. It's hard to really point the finger on that. Yeah, you know, you talk about inbounds passes and, and things, you know, those are small things, but, you know, late in the game, that, that's what matters, you know, just simply getting the ball in. And, and you know, we, I've talked about it with several people about the half-court offense that Coach Stackhouse runs, and it seems like they're getting good looks, you know. It, a lot of times it's just a matter of them hitting big shots, but late in games, a lot of times they, they may struggle with beating the press and, and, and you know, some you see them struggling with inbounds plays. So, uh, you know, as, as a coach, it's just as important to call those – those uh, inbounds plays and, 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 you know, getting the ball across half court as it is in the half court. Would you, would you agree? No question. Most inbound plays now, uh, coaches use a couple of different sets, but they do reactions off of how they play first options. A lot of times, and if the first option is not there, then there's usually a pretty easy second or third option. You know, you got five seconds. All that happens pretty quickly, but it uh, you've got to be able to get possession. That's that's the main thing. And uh, well, a lot of guys, and it's not necessarily the way the play is designed. It's instinctively they'll make their first move, and then they'll watch for another millisecond or so. And the next thing you know, when you, once you get to about three and a half, you feel that pressure. And then the inbounder does not want to make a bad pass for an interception, but you got to make some pass. And you don't want that that five second violation, Coach. With one more regular season game left down in Oxford on Saturday for Vanderbilt, and then you got the SEC tournament coming up next week. That they'll be in that Wednesday night game, and and they'll they'll likely be playing Georgia. So uh, maybe not the the worst of 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 gets there for Vanderbilt. Maybe likely getting a win there. But uh, how how would you assess Coach Stackhouse uh, here in year three, and 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 what he's been able to do, and and uh, maybe some of the improvements that that he may need to 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 work on. Well, they certainly have made strides. Uh, they've, they've been in so many big games uh, and lost some and won some, but they've been in a lot of games, and that hasn't always been the case in the first two years. But I think they've made a lot of progress. However, it's now time to replace some pretty big missing pieces moving forward. So all, all the fans out there want to know not just what you're doing now, but what can we look forward to? And if you have something to look forward to, the – I don't know how good the recruiting class coming in is actually, uh, how strong they are. But on paper, they look like a very, very good uh, class. Uh, you know, the kid from Ensworth is a very, very good physical talent. 
probably doesn't have a lot of real skills right now offensively, but uh, but on paper they look like they're reloading pretty well. The the team has had the ball in Scotty Pippen's hand so often, somebody's going to have to step up and take that role. The the returning guards with Scotty not here uh, have really got to make up some ground, and and I, I'm. I'm 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 just kind of ambivalent right there about that right now because I'm not sure I've seen anything where they can. Not many guards in college basketball control the ball as well as Scotty Pippen. No, they don't. And, and you know he he's one of the best at drawing fouls, getting to the free throw line, and and um, you know it, it'll be interesting to see. There's been some talk about him maybe potentially coming back, and and maybe uh, you know after he looks at the NBA one more time, but. Coach, they, they talked about the recruiting class. They got three four-stars coming in next season. Uh, that, that's some, some young talent coming in, but they're not getting much older. You know, they, they've, they've got Liam Robbins likely coming back next year, but uh, I, I'm with you there. They're still a little bit up in the air with this team. And so uh, with the four-stars coming in and, and that much young talent coming in and, and your experience as a coach and kind of, you know, what you've seen around college basketball nowadays, how much of an impact do you think three freshmen like that, and even four with, with Malik Dia from Innsworth, how much of an impact do you think those guys could make? Well, I think, uh, I think it's, uh, it depends on the person. You get a lot of guys who do not play like freshmen. Uh, for instance, this year, Belmont has a kid uh, that came in there, Will Richard, who does not play like – occasionally he'll, he'll have a breakdown, but he does not play like a freshman. Uh, you have a, a lot of point guards. Someone's going to have to be the point guard next year and handle the ball and distribute and run the team. And uh, that's probably the hardest thing for a freshman to do. As I look back uh, in my career, uh, Tommy Springer was a scoring point guard. Uh, but Joe Ford came in back in the 70s, and he was a guy who played like a senior. He, he was one of those Mayfield, Kentucky red shirt freshmen. In Mayfield, Kentucky, if you play football, you automatically take the – eighth grade over again. So what you want is the guy that uh, plays beyond his years and point guards is a pretty tough position to do that with. Yeah, we'll have to see what, what they do in the transfer market. Uh, I mean, with Scottie Pippen leaving, it, you talked about it's almost like Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter in baseball leaving. I mean, there's, it's, it leaves such a big hole uh, in that spot. So, so we'll have to see. But, Coach, one more on Vandy here. Uh, what are the chances you think this team makes the NIT? I, I saw where the NIT, if you're at least 500, uh, you will have a shot at making it. But with so many of these teams on the bubble, you got to believe that some of those bids might be taken up. So, so Vanderbilt may have a little bit of a tougher time making the NIT this year. But what do you think their chances are this season? Well, there's definitely more parity in college basketball than there has been in many years. There's so many players out there, and there's so many kids who play year-round. They're going to be probably – Vandy's probably going to be a – I'm going to say a two out of five probability and maybe a three out of five possibility of getting in the NIT. It'll be interesting. It'll be uh, – I don't know if there's an NIT selection show or what, but uh, we'll, we'll find out after the SEC tournament. Coach, let's get into the fouling issue here in college basketball. There's been a lot of talk uh, recently about the hand checks and, and uh, you know, the freedom of movement initiative that, that was, uh, that was in, 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 initiated a couple years ago. I think that for a lot of people, a lot of fans might have made it tougher for them to watch games and, and you know, especially the way referees are calling it nowadays. So uh, – in, in watching games, do you notice that, or, or are you just, you know, do, do you like to, to, to not be super, uh, super negative about the refs? How do you feel about, about some, of the, some of the way referees are calling games nowadays? 
Well, if you have a company that that's a service related company, it all boils down to the technician that comes to your house. In, in college basketball, it's the crew and the individuals on the crew uh, because you see some games, you think it's a whistle fest out there and they're calling everything. Other games are not so much. They let them, let them go, let them play. And it depends on the official and the situation and the crowd. And, you know, the officials out there, they hear the same noises and the same momentum in the crowd that the players feel. And you think as a, as a visiting player, when you feel that momentum go against you, it, it, it freezes guys up a lot of times. But there are some guys who really flourish with that kind of pressure. So I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's what I would call uh, uh, a trend. I think it's been around for a long time. I remember Coach Skinner back in his day when, when, when Bob Guyette and, and those guys, Mike Phillips and Rick Roby and those guys were playing for Kentucky, Coach Skinner said, this is not basketball. They're letting them kill our guys out there. Uh, <laughs> but then that goes all the way through because Dale Brown is the same kind of guy from another era who first thing he always did was look at the, look at the stat sheet and check the number of fouls on which team got the most fouls. Now you get more modern day coaches who are, uh, I don't want to call any names. Let's just say that some guys are not so uh, majoring in minors as other coaches are. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd have to agree with you on that. It, it seems like, you know, down, like you talk about down the stretch, it, it, it feels like a lot of these referees are letting them play. It's almost like we're watching a tackle football game out there. And, and you know, I, there was a Vanderbilt game. I think it was – I think it might have been Texas A&M a couple of weeks ago uh, where the game, there was there was over 50 fouls in the final two minutes. They just let them play. Uh, so, so the, you know, you get games like that where, you know, I think a lot of fans just want consistency. Would you, would you agree? Yeah, let me, let me tell you a good example. Uh, there's a very great young man, great guy named Ricky Shoulders who's been refereeing around here for a long time. In the finals of the OVC tournament, 17 or 18 years ago, he made a call on a shooting a foul that was called in the act of shooting with about one second to go. And he literally almost got run out of town because he made that call in the last second. I contend, and most coaches do, if it's a foul in the first five minutes, it's a foul in the yep. last five seconds. Yep. And, uh, and he got, he got blacklisted for a while, and he's a great referee and a very honest guy. I think he's a very, very talented referee. And uh, he, got, he got blackballed for making that call that night down at Municipal Auditorium in the OVC tournament. And, and some guys don't operate the, the officials who are the schedulers and the evaluators. They say, let the players decide the game. Well, if the player fouls somebody in the act of shooting and with one second to go, the player is deciding it. The yeah. referee does just call it. So I, I'm on the official side here on that. Yeah, I'm on their side too, but but I'm not jealous of a lot of these referees, man. And, no. and, and a, lot, a lot of these atmospheres, that, that, that can be tough. But, Coach, let's talk a little SEC. It's, it, SEC keeps getting better. You know, we, we've got, I think, three teams at the top there. You've also got Alabama uh, kind of floating around back there. It'll be interesting to see how many SEC teams get into the tournament. In your mind – who do you call the best SEC team this year? <laughs> it depends on where the game is so most of the time. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I love the intensity Arkansas plays with. Uh, Kentucky has got the best talent, and and uh, sometimes they've had a, an animal injury there that hurt them for a couple of weeks uh, and so. But uh, Tennessee, since, since ZZ appeared on the scene, they've been as good as anyone. And uh, Ziegler is a nice little point guard that really – 
takes the air out of the balloon defensively for the other team. And uh, so I like all three of those teams very well. You cannot ever discount LSU and, and uh, you can't discount uh, Alabama. Uh, there's probably going to be six teams that make it. And uh, just depends really on, on who, who else is upset, who else wins. But I'd say right now I'd bet, I'd bet on six. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. In the middle of the pack of the SEC is ridiculous this year. I mean, Vanderbilt was – they got up towards the middle of the pack, but, you know, they, that, with these last couple losses here, that, that kind of pushed them back to the bottom, and, and now they're playing in, in that first night of the SEC tournament. Um, but, Coach, March is, for basketball people, the best time of year. And, and you know, I, I think for, for some – for fans of college sports, it feels like March Madness when you're in the moment and watching those games, especially the first couple of days, Thursday and Friday, there's really nothing like it. And, you know, the, the, with all the excitement and, and especially you're getting you're going to start now getting some more packed arenas. And I think fans are kind of uh, foaming at the mouth for, for more more March excitement right now. So. So, Coach, how would you describe your excitement? I, I, you know, I know uh, throughout your time, it's probably probably change a little bit with the way you know the way we watch the tournament uh but in your mind how do you describe your excitement when, when march comes around well let me tell you joe lenardi has extended march madness into the middle of february yeah because everybody's watching that bubble they're watching the last four in last four out uh so i think that really creates more excitement and more interest in watching a lot of the games because if you're in that in that bottom eight or the top eight uh, of that bubble, uh, you know, you'd live and die with every possession. So uh, I, I'm, I'm extremely excited and my VCR will not hold my, well, my, whatever you call it now, when you, when I tape all the games, I, I can't, uh, I hadn't got enough room to watch all the games I want to right now. So uh, I, what I'll try to do is watch, try to watch at least the last five or six minutes of a lot of games and uh, let, let the first, 35 minutes or so go you gotta stay up late for some of those late night ones in the west coast that, that, that that's oh for sure. yeah those west coast teams are pretty interesting to me because i mean except they're arizona you might get anything with a west coast game yeah gonzaga you know i've heard some people talk about gonzaga being being uh, the best team of the country we'll have to see it it'll it'll shape itself out but it's march so uh so 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 stay excited here down the stretch thanks for coming on thanks billy talk to you later